Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do and how they do it. This episode is one of many that is in what I'd call sort of like a strategist series. I have a background in strategy and Among many other professions, I speak to a variety of strategists. This episode was recorded, my gosh, over a year ago now, and I have been meaning to get it out, and I haven't, as I'm sure everyone realizes. It's been a wild uh, last year or so, and um, so here I am, getting it out now, and I'm really excited to share it. My guest is Caitlin Angeloff. She was a former client of mine and has become a dear friend since, and we've worked together many times since. She is wonderful, and she shares so much insight about her role and career trajectory and how she manages her marriage and being a parent to two kids while also growing her career, and I just really appreciate all of her vulnerability in this. When we recorded this episode, she had a role as social strategy director at a healthcare group. She has since left, and she is now senior director of corporate marketing communications at Seismic. When we met, which we talk about quite a bit, Her role was Director of Global Social Strategy and Operations at DocuSign. She was at DocuSign for many years and was with them through a lot of growth. And I'm really grateful that she lets me ask so many questions about the growing pains and what she learned. We talk about the ways that she has advocated for more budget and what she's learned about working with executives and getting more budget from different teams. Anyhow, I learned a lot working with her. I learned a lot in this episode and I am just really excited to share it. If you would like to support this podcast, which I hope that you do, please go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, where you can become a monthly supporter of the podcast. If you don't want another monthly, you know, couple dollars taken out from your account or credit card every month, I get it. Um, It can be a lot sometimes with all the subscriptions. You can Venmo me. I'm at Lene, L-Y-N-A-E dash cook. And if you want to support this podcast in other ways by using services that I love and recommend, you can book a hotel when it is safe to travel again someday. Who knows when that will be? Hopefully sooner than later. Um, Or a staycation at a hotel near you using Hotel Tonight. I love Hotel Tonight. And um, currently I am staying at a hotel that I booked because I have COVID. But I'm fine, guys. It's all right. Uh, It was rough at first. And um, I'm recovering and losing your sense of smell and taste is very, very odd. Anyhow, you can sign up with Hotel Tonight using LCOOK61 and then someday when you go to book a hotel, you will save on your first hotel booking. As longtime listeners know, I also, um, you know, my dad does different investment stuff and has taught me a lot as he's learned over the years. And so I manage my own investments using Robinhood. I'm a big fan. If you go to join.robinhood.com slash C, which is just Lene and then the letter C, uh, you will get a little bit of fun in your account when you open it and I will get a little bit of mine and every little bit helps. I really like Robinhood a lot. I've used it for several years now. I use it in conjunction with Acorns. Unfortunately, Acorns doesn't have like a nice quick link for me to share. So there is a longer, uglier link in the description of this episode. If you're really resistant to reading the description, uh, the link is acorns.com invite slash L33KZP. All the letters are capitalized and I do encourage you to follow this podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It is just hashtag BTS podcast. You can also follow me across all platforms 
There is also a BTS podcast group for listeners and guests where you can submit questions and guest ideas and things like that. So all the followers um, get the chance to submit questions whenever I announce that I am having a guest on. And so it's a fun way to stay engaged and have questions or subjects that you want explored, explored. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please support this podcast any way I mentioned or just by following it, sharing the episode with somebody, uh, or talk to your company about becoming a sponsor. It'd be greatly appreciated. Enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am in Renton, Washington with Caitlin you know, I'm going to mess it up even though I wrote down the phonetics. Is it Angeloff? Angeloff. Which is embarrassing to ask because we've known each other for probably three plus years now. I want to say we're going on maybe even five. That could be it. Yeah. That sounds correct. Yeah. And to explain why we know each other, uh, Caitlin was, in fact, I was on the agency side. She was one of our clients and she was amazing. And it was when she was at DocuSign as their director of global social strategy and operations, which is a mouthful of a title. Mm -hmm. And you have since transitioned into healthcare. And so you're now the social strategy director at Providence. Correct. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Lene. I'm happy to have you interview me. This is fun. Happily. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. Really? Oh Oh my gosh. I'm heartwarmed by that. Well, I... I love your interview style, and it's just great to hear from from other strategy pros, right? It's not an easy burden to carry the title of strategy. No, and it's not clear because people who are hiring you have different expectations of what that means. Mm -hmm. That is not rooted necessarily in any rhyme or reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a weird, it is an ambiguous job, which I love because I do not like being put in a box. (laughs) So ambiguity works for me. I love it. And yeah, it's just, it's really fascinating. And one thing that I loved about working together is that Caitlin is just wildly enthusiastic and does so much research on her own. And like, I truly don't even know, and we will get into this later, but I don't even know how she does it because she voraciously consumes like reporting and whatever is like the latest out of Mary Meeker and like is it e-marketer? Is that the mm-hmm. and for like she's so aware of everything that's going on, and then somehow also does her job and does it well, and is a great manager from what I've seen of Aww. your team at DocuSign. Thank you. And then also you have two kids and a husband. I do. And I'm pretty sure you also only have 24 hours in the day. Like last the rest time of us. I checked, I only <laughs> have 24 hours in the day. If you know somewhere where I can buy some more hours, you let me know because yeah. I will buy them. <laughs> Happily. Yeah. Um, so let's start off by if you could tell me what you think makes a good strategist. Well, a good strategist is somebody who is curious um, and has uh, really good critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that you don't have a singular strategy, you have a, a set of strategies. Mm-hmm. So In order to do that, you need to look across the whole, you know, aspect of the business. You have Mm -hmm. to understand it from a business strategy standpoint, and you have to understand the full customer journey, and you need to look for intersections, right? You look at the intersection between business strategy, brand strategy, content strategy, audience management strategy. So it's all these different strategies. A good strategist can ask the right questions that in case they have not 
seen what somebody's plan is, you're able to at least ask the right questions so that you can understand uh, what somebody's trying to do in terms of their objectives. And, yeah. and if you are not asking questions or being curious, I, I don't know how you can possibly help be a strategist because you're not answering any questions. Like if you don't understand what the problems are, how can you come up with ideas as to how you can address them? So curiosity and critical thinking, I think is what makes a good strategist. That is a an ongoing sort of like reoccurring theme as I've spoken to more and more strategists uh, in sort of like the strategy series of this podcast. That's definitely been something that came up in Megan Murray's episode from Analog Folk and with Genevieve Asensio, who's at Mountain Dew, is the ability to ask questions mm -hmm. and get to understand the business, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating, especially as you like traverse verticals. Yes. And business types, right? Like the business when you're in-house is so different than when you're at an agency. Oh, completely different. And yeah, and it just also what type of agency and is it a, like if you're at a WPP agency versus a privately owned agency can be very different. Okay, I'm jumping in here because a day or so after Caitlin and I recorded this episode, she sent me the following email with a few revisions to her answer to the question. So I thought I would insert it here where, um, I don't know, we're kind of already on the subject. So here's what Caitlin said. One thing I want to re-record is what makes a good strategist. As I was lying awake in bed in the middle of the night, I realized what it takes to be a great strategist is to understand the current state, share what the ideal future state can and should be, and then explain the gaps, barriers, and obstacles, and put a plan in place to move through them. I'm really glad Caitlin took the time to reach out and add that. I super appreciate it. And uh, now back to our conversation. Speaking of which, and this was not my intention for the format of this podcast, <laughs> but you did recently shift out of DocuSign, which would you consider that tech? Yes. Okay. I, well, cloud, SaaS-based business. Right. Yep. I figured tech. as much, but it's I wanted tech. to make sure. I didn't yeah. want to just jump to conclusions. <laughs> and then you switched into healthcare. I did. I've been at Providence now for just almost eight months. So wow. I, a little under eight months. Yeah. Um, I was with DocuSign for four and a half years, mm -hmm. almost five years, during yeah. hypergrowth stage. So I joined them when it was just about 400 people. Mm -hmm. And I left when we had broken through the 3,000 mark. Wow. Yeah. That's and a big shift. Oh, yeah. yeah How you, was that in terms of like your role and responsibilities? Well, I was a one-woman show when I first started mm -hmm. and uh, slowly was able to hire contractors and then hire agency partners and then eventually start to build a team. Mm -hmm. um, but all over time proving the value of, of social media. And I didn't just run social. I don't know many people know this, but I ran um, the blog too. Mm -hmm. English speaking so only. Largely right? like a lot of the digital well, it, it was I very much was intentional about how the the social you know, was the shorter format and the blog was the longer format. But one would argue the blog is really for, you know, showing up in the search engines, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And social is about showing up in feed. But if you wanted to try and get people to learn more, uh, and we didn't have huge production budgets to make amazing content, so you'd need to drive them somewhere. So pulling them out of feed and over to a, a blog that would tell them a bit more about uh, our journey and mm -hmm. this whole notion of digital transformation, which is now a, a completely 
overused buzzword. <laughs> yeah, which I think you were the first person that I'd ever heard that word from. Really? And I was like, oh, what is this word that they're trying to coin? Like, well, really... no, we tried to, the category that we created was digital transaction management. Well, but I didn't, I'd never heard digital transformation. So I oh. thought that you were coining that term. And then I was like, oh, how interesting that all these other people, are. and then eventually I was like, oh, idiot. A lot of people use it. <laughs> but I definitely just thought like, oh, DocuSign's trying to like own the digital transformation. But then mm. over time, I realized that that was a conversation that it existed, mm. just not in my world. Yes. Which doesn't mean it didn't exist. Right, right. And I had to learn everything about what did digital transaction management mean and help people understand that they couldn't just put us in the e-signature box. Right. Which very much ladders up to the fact that I was part of the communication team and we weren't just trying to use social media to reach uh, customers or per prospective customers. We were also trying to reach uh, the media and help right. them understand, you know, we were more than e-signature and, and we we're moving into other types of um, ways that you could solidify an agreement. And then right as I was leaving DocuSign, you know, they were in the process of, you know, building yet another category, which is the agreement cloud. And that was, mm. you know, part of the acquisition that we made and about contract lifecycle management and how there's all the redlining that happens before you get into signature and, you know, and then there's the payment side of it and like right. how it all pieces together. You're trying to do what you would do in real life right here where you'd write up a statement and then I'd hand <laughs> it to you and I'd say, here, sign this. Yeah. And then I'd give you some cash. They were spot on in, in digital transaction management. That's what they were doing. And it was just a different way of you know, verifying the transaction. And then we threw payments in there, started working with PayPal and Visa and Stripe, I Stripe think. and yeah. all the payment providers so that you could DocuSign and pay in one in one form without having to do two clicks. Right, which is, I mean, on the user end of it is a delight. Yes. Certainly, as someone who has been on like the um, small business side trying to like get things signed and then also payment and yep. then trying to match that up with like, where did it come from, right? Because if you're processing a few hundred payments every week and people have different last names sometimes, or like there's just all these factors that you go into like, okay, well, who's this connected to? Yes. Um, so that is incredibly useful. And in that growth period where you were fighting to no longer be a one woman team, mm -hmm. um, what did you learn about asking for more budget? I think the biggest thing I learned is making sure that the stakeholders that you were seeking funding from, because social media crosses these all of the teams, um, so it wouldn't be something that you were just saying to your boss, hey, we need this funding. It mm -hmm. was helping other teams understand how to invest in social media. So I think what I learned the most from it was the importance of helping to educate others about what social media is and how it works and how it could help them with their individual business objectives for their particular team or group or business unit. Um, and that process of, I call it tin cupping, <laughs> where you're going around saying, wow, look at, you know, we'd show wins. We'd show a lot of wins. Hey, yeah. look at this. You know, we were, you know, doing this uh, launch and we used Twitter moments and you know we promoted it and look at how much more reach we got out of it so wouldn't we like to do that for 
you know, momentum, our annual conference, or wouldn't we want to do that at Dreamforce? And mm. um, mm-hmm. so it's, it is a, it is a process of demonstrating the value, but mm-hmm. also, again, back to the question about what makes a good strategist, asking about what they care about. Right. What What's your bottom line? Yeah. And then helping them to understand how social media can help them with their bottom line. Mm-hmm. And the higher up you go in management, they care less and less about the details, right? They, they might care less about the look and the feel of the content, or they care less about the the ad particular ad unit you're thinking about buying or um, and they care a lot more about how much time is this going to take how much money is this going to take how many you know resources will it take in terms of human capital mm-hmm. and if you can't have a, a good explanation of what it takes and what they'll get back for it from that investment they're kind of like a bank don't yeah. go ask for money if you can't tell them what the return on their investment is which very much goes to measurement but but we can talk about that more as we get into the podcast. Which is so, that has always been really difficult for me because I uh, I think a lot of it has to do with that. My dad uh, teaches economics. Mm-hmm. And so his answer to everything is, I don't know. Mm. Because there rarely is there an absolute answer. Correct. And so social, similarly, there's so many factors right. that contribute to what you're doing that when someone comes to me and says, like, what can you do for, like, $20,000. I'm like, okay, well, anything and also potentially nothing depending right. <laughs> like depending right. on how we use the budget. Right. And so I've had a really hard time in the past when someone's like, "Oh, well you should advocate for and just tell us what the perks will be." And I'm like, "Yeah, I could, but like if there's a natural disaster on this day, everything will change." Mm-hmm. So like I can promise this until I'm blue in the face. And one thing that was that is still a hard pill for me to swallow is: Do you ever listen to Freakonomics? Um, I don't know that I have. Okay, it's a joy. I think you would love it. Okay. And there was an episode where they talked to somebody. I don't remember what their specialty was. Is that but Daniel Pink? It's um, no. Stephen Levitt. And, oh, okay, uh, now some, I'm writing something. It's from down. the authors of Freakonomics. Okay. So um, there is there was one particular episode where they talked about like why everyone goes over budget all the time and like why construction projects Uh take longer than they said and basically what it came down to was that if you promise the honest answer Uh because no one else is promising an honest answer your proposal looks terrible yes in comparison to the opposition because because in real in reality you know what it takes to get it done right and everybody else low bids it right I would have used a different word, but we're podcasting. They oh, low- it doesn't matter. <laughs> Only my dad gets upset, but he won't be upset about that one. He doesn't like when I cuss, and he did ask me to okay, not. They, they lowballed it yes. because they know <laughs> that they could win the work, but then right. in the end, they'll just they'll nibble them and scope creep it and be like, oh, well, you know, this, totally. this sub came in at X amount higher, but. Oh. Right, and I can't do that. Like, I cannot, maybe if I was really caffeinated and confident. I should just, but I just can't. I really struggle to make promises like that. Yes. Because if I go to, like, I think of customer support, right? Uh-huh. And say, like, look, if we take half of your people who are on the phone, put them on Twitter, here's how much more we can process. That's all fine and well, assuming also that that customer support team is, like, Twitter proficient. Right. And they're willing to invest in that. And also, like, is good at crisis communications. Like, that's making a whole lot of assumptions yes. about a team 
who at most organizations is usually treated like here's your talk track and don't stray from it. Mm -hmm. So you're assuming that like these people have been empowered to have emotional intelligence when a lot of times people are not in customer support are not treated that way, unfortunately. Yes, that and, is, I mean, they're doctors. I mean, they're, they're, they're diagnosing your problem. I wish they'd have a bit more respect for them. It's like, right. could you think how many different problems are being thrown at them and how many things they have to solve for? It's, it's a lot. Yeah. And, and when they're and, retaining customers, they are revenue either, makers. They're, they're your first line and your last line. Like you're the difference between whether or not they stay a customer or mm -hmm. they, they blast you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I unravel when someone's like, well, just, and I'm like, ah, uh. if my colleague Melissa were, were here, she'd laugh because, uh, when we first started working together, you know, we both announced that we loved brainstorming. Mm -hmm. And so we were in some meetings and, and we were all brainstorming and, and about five minutes into the brainstorming, I just got really quiet and I said, well, I, I would need to know parameters. You know, I would need to know how much you know, money you are thinking maybe about investing and, you know, what kind of time, like I just started doing my usual thing where I just start hitting them with questions because in my right. brain, I'm instantly going to brief mode, right? I'm yeah. just like, let's brief this in. I can't really brainstorm with you until I'm briefed in. <laughs> yeah, totally, which is fair. <laughs> and, and and Melissa had all these great ideas and, and she was riffing and, and the client, you know, the, our internal client was like, yeah, yeah, I love that and I love this. And and then at the end of the day, like none of those ideas could be executed because, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of it, it's like, well, how much money do you have? Well, well, about 500. Like, right. Not a single thing we just spent the last 45 yeah. minutes talking about can ever be executed for $500. Totally. I can boost your post for uh, 24 hours for that amount of money, and it may get shown to 5% of the fan base, right? Yeah. On a single platform. Right. <laughs> Like yeah. I can't even put I can't even put that across every single platform. So yeah, maybe maybe it's because in the strategy world we we reach this certain point where we can't actually answer a question directly. Yeah, anytime we get asked a question, we ask a question back. Right. Well, and that must be so annoying though for clients, whether oh, they're surely. internal or external. It must drive them crazy. Like, I mean, I just want an answer. Later. I don't even know how to strip my personal conversations from that. <laughs> So certainly, I multiple times in my life, I've had people who just go like, Lene, is that a yes or no answer? Yeah. And I'm like, well, it is really depends. Is that a depends. go, no go? Like, if like, I go running in the morning, I might be like, <laughs> my entire brain is like a series of if-then yes. statements. Yes. And so it's like, yeah, all that's fine and well, except for... You know, what if my mom calls? Right. <laughs> like, I just have no, I have zero ability to give definitive answers for anything. Yes. Yeah. I Now that you're saying um, sort of like that conversation around parameters and everything, it does make me think that like as a metaphor, it would be, because some people don't understand it, right? Where they're like, right. why do you have all these questions? Right. And now that we're having this conversation, I'm like, oh, the perfect metaphor is like you can't plan your wedding until you know how much money you're willing to spend. Right. And like how much money you're putting in, how much your fiance is putting in, right. if your family's contributing. Right. Exactly. you can't plan anything. Right. You wouldn't just plan a wedding and then work backwards and go like, well, no. I guess we're, we're stripping this away no. and this and this and this. So maybe the best way to describe a strategist is that we're planners. Yeah. I mean, my first job out of... Well, even it wasn't even my first job out of college. It was my last year in college. I worked at Seafair here mm. in Seattle, uh, and I saw what goes into event planning, like right. logistics. If if anywhere something's going to show up that you didn't plan correctly, yeah, it'll show up in an event. 
Totally. And then I went straight out of Seafair. Uh, Don Lowe, who was my neighbor across the street, had introduced me to Beth, uh, no, to Janet Church, because he was friends with Beth Wojcik, who was president of Seafair at the time. This goes to the value of, you know, your network is your net worth. Ms. Yeah. Miss Porter Gale. Um, that I was introduced to Janet Church, and Janet Church owned her own event management company. And mm. so that was my first exposure to Microsoft, was doing the Microsoft events on the Microsoft campus mm -hmm. uh, for uh, what was called their um, CIO Summit and their GERS, their Global Executive Roundtables. Okay. And it was out at Building 12, and it always had either a Bill G or a... Um, a Steve B mm -hmm. keynote to it. That's and it was wild. Like two and a half days usually on campus. Did you get to watch the keynotes? Oh yeah, but it was like it was it was like speaking a different language. Every, oh totally. Every yeah. fifth word that I heard out of people's mouths, I didn't know what they were saying. Right. But I I I knew when the buses were arriving. I knew when they were departing. I knew where we were going for dinner, <laughs> and I like I knew if the name badges weren't working and like. I learned how to plan because of events. And so I feel like anybody who ever goes into a strategy role, it, 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 it begs the question, where in your life, whether it was in your personal life or your professional life, where did you get the planning instinct from? Yeah. And was it because you needed to know and right. you needed to have a plan? Yeah. Or is it because you got some level of enjoyment out of it? And the crazy thing is, is in my personal life, I am I am not misorganized, right? Really? Mm -mm. No. Someone once asked me as an interview question, how do you organize your closet? And I said, you're assuming that everything that I washed got hung up in my closet. <laughs> it did not get hung up, right? It's over there in the laundry basket. That's fascinating to me because since childhood, mm -hmm. I have been... I have, in fact, undone some of my own. Really? I would even say perhaps like clinically OCD nature by just reminding myself that it's actually not productive or constructive. Yeah. Because like as a kid, uh -huh. if my mom asked me to clean my room, it uh -huh. would probably take anywhere from four to eight hours because I would take everything out of where it was. And dump it on the floor? And dump it on the floor. Lene. And then like, <laughs> Yeah insane and then <laughs> additionally and then I would like meticulously fold like all yes. of my underwear all of my socks I would uh -huh. if I had like a change jar like a coin jar thing I would count it all and like put like that to me was cleaning and then if I were to vacuum it would take me so long because I had to have the lines perfectly lined up <laughs> until finally I was like my mom basically the way it shifted was my mom was like Lene we will not go do that whatever it was I wanted to we'll not go to the library uh -huh. Until your room is clean. So by taking this long to clean your room, you're making it so that we cannot go to the library. If you just did, if you just tidied it up. We could go. We could go. And it probably took at least a year from that point forth to really understand that I did not need to deep clean deep everything. Deep clean the whole room. The whole room. You should run a BTS survey <laughs> and just ask how many of you strategists are. Oh, I like that totally in your personal life, you know, cowboy, right? you know, calling audibles left and right versus how many of you are as buttoned up in your personal life as you are in your professional life. Because yeah. if I had it too structured in both sides of my world, mm -hmm. I think I might blow a gasket or something, <laughs> really. Yeah. There's no way I could keep track of all of that stuff. And the fact that when people like 
asked me, how do you balance this whole, you know, working mom thing and family? I, I could murder the person who came up with the term of super mom. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to just destroy them. Yeah. Because it did us no favors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought we had to do it all. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I first of all, I was laid off three days into maternity leave on my first. Wow. My, yes. Yes, I was. So That's here, here for Governor Inslee for actually making family uh, paid leave a thing for Washington State. I, I, I would have loved that uh, back when I had Gavin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made it about, let's see here. So I was out job searching. So I probably got back into the workforce about a, when he was about six months old, um, mostly because I was going crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had kids later in life and I had always been a career driven woman. And I was like, no, no, I like got to get back in the workforce. Yeah. And um, which thank you for sharing, because I think some people I've found that some people feel bad that they really want to go back to work and don't understand that, like, you can equally want to be at work and and want to be with your kid. Yes. Like you can, it's totally fine yeah. to want, and like reasonable that you want both equally, but also th- th- like in this particular universe that we live in, that is not possible. <laughs> so not like, really. Yeah. Not really. But then I, I went back to work and, you know, I'm still breastfeeding and I'm pumping and I'm, you know, I've got the stress of a new job and then I come home and I'm like trying to understand what, you know, how did my kid eat that day and, you know, what all happened. Right. And, and I just had a, like a complete meltdown one night to my husband and I said, how in the world is this supposed to work? Yeah. I'm actually paying more money than I'm making for childcare. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a fish out of water because my hormones are going crazy mm-hmm. and I, um, I want to be the best that I can possibly be, but I feel, you know, torn about the fact that I'm not at home. And so, you know, I've got these mixed emotions. Anyways, my whole point being like super mom and the whole balancing thing just does not happen. So at, at a certain point, if my husband were here, he would say it took me a lot longer than I will actually admit to, but I finally just got okay with a certain level of chaos. I just, yeah. when people say, well, how's that work-life balance thing going for you? And I, I laugh and I'm going to laugh right now because like, what? Right. There's well, no such thing as balance. Yeah. You know, there's no, it's not like this perfect teeter-tottering. Mm-hmm. It's like, am I feeling like I can get out of bed today or do I feel like I, I have a grip on, you know, what I need to get done today versus next week versus next month? Right. Um, it just varies. And there are days where I'm just like, wow, I, I am not bringing the A game today. I'm glad that you're willing to admit that, though, because that is a hard thing. I think that people, we don't want to even admit that to ourselves. Oh, heavens, no. And so, and if you're going to have limited time at home with your kids, it's like the closet can wait. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Yeah. Because obviously, I bet you and your kids would prefer that you spend time together and do, like, normal parent stuff. Yes. And it is, in fact, I've made a point, um, I don't even know if I've, like, verbalized this on the podcast before, but I have made a point that when I have guests on who are dads that I asked them similar questions like good about how they show up and I was shocked the episode has not come out yet and I don't know what order it'll come out in okay but there is an episode where I talked to somebody who's like in his 70s and I talked to him Mm -hmm. like you know you were an entrepreneur while Mm -hmm. raising your daughters Mm -hmm. how did you 
like do that and show up as a dad. And he was super honest and was like, I didn't really. And I was like, wow. He owned it. Yeah. I was like, thank you. I mean, it's probably easier to own mm -hmm. now that mm -hmm. he's a grandfather and like mm -hmm. involved in their lives, right? Like it's probably not an easy thing to own in the midst of it. Right. But I was really grateful that he was, was just honest because I think a lot of men, if, if men aren't asked that question, they're not forced to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then for listeners who are either fathers or will be fathers one day, then they're not thinking about it. And it's not fair that like all of that pressure to show up as a parent and at work and do both well is typically culturally like on the mom mm -hmm. and the dads get an applause for like letting their wives go out with their friends and like babysitting where I'm like, you're not babysitting. That's your own child. Yeah, like exactly. You're doing the normal. It's like, it's like when people like pat themselves on the back, like that they pay child support. And I'm like, yeah, that's just what you're supposed to do. Yeah. No one's impressed. It's the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Like legally you have to, no one's yeah. applauding, like giving you an applause that yeah. you like didn't run Congrats. a red light. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. So Back to back to your role, actually, because yes. I do have some more questions about um, your work, especially because you have like a significant amount of work history at growing companies and in different industries. What are some of your tips for working with agencies when you're the client? Well, um, what are my tips when you're on the client side for working with an agency? Yeah, I mean, I guess we can start from like step one. How do you find like how do you, do you look for an agency when you're looking for an agency? Like how should someone conduct that search? Well, the right way to do it is to do an RFI or, and then move to an RFP or to do an RFP. Sometimes though, it's because you see something and you ask, wow, who did that work? That's gorgeous work. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it's not an agency partner. Sometimes it's a person or mm -hmm. it's a few people. Yeah. Um, so it, it really depends on the environment, right? So some people who are working in a large organization, they are told who their agency partner or partners will be because they've been selected right? and they're meeting a certain criteria and they've negotiated the right rates. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the best tip for finding agency partners is, um, looking for people who, want to understand your business. So mm -hmm. same kind of thing. They're curious about it. Yeah. Um, but that they are comfortable uh, challenging you. Yeah. I, I'm always nervous about an agency who thinks, who says yes to everything I say. And they're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I would look for the people who challenge you or are willing to debate with you and have a conversation about what the right thing is for the business at that point in time. Um, and agencies vary in size, right? Sometimes you've got a big agency and sometimes you have a small agency. Uh, the agency model is really shifting right now. It's a fascinating time um, yeah. to the people who are on the call who are strategists at agencies. I mean, my hat's off to the strategists at the agencies right now because, wow, what a, what a tough seat to be in. Mm -hmm. um, everything is shifting to this you know, on demand, you know, I have a project that I need help with. It's no longer this big fat retainer, maybe for, again, some of the bigger companies, you've got a yeah. big fat retainer, but, um, a lot of people are, are, you know, 
going back to the in-house model and staffing for what they need or a bare minimum of what they need with the staff. And then they'll allow them to scale up or scale down on a project by project or campaign, campaign by campaign basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would look for people who can partner um, and collaborate and debate well yeah. with, with you. And then um, I say this to everybody, you know, your agency partners are an extension of you and your team. Yeah. So they're not they're not there to be beat up beat up on or yeah. uh, thrown underneath the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've always treated my agency partners with a lot of respect. I think that's why I got along with the team so well at Rational was yeah. um, you know, I really respected every person that was billing hours because they had great great ideas and asked great questions. Plus, I also owned my own agency for about three years. So, oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been on that other side where yeah. it's like, why did you hire me if you don't want my expertise? Totally. It's kind of like coming to see a doctor and then you don't want to listen to the diagnosis. Yeah, totally. That's a, yeah, it's really, it is interesting. And I think, I mean, I'm all for second opinions. Don't get me wrong. Totally. Like you shouldn't just take a doctor at their word. You're like, I'm going to go get a second opinion, but... You know, at the yeah. same time, that expertise, like you just paid someone a lot of money to get their expertise and you're not going to listen to it? Yeah, which is, it is fascinating to me because um, I've seen that happen a lot, especially mm-hmm. in like an agency client relationship. And sometimes I, I have wondered if some of that stems from the account manager who started the conversation being mm-hmm. a yes person. Mm-hmm. And then when they peel back the onion a little bit and find that not the entire team is like that and that person needed to like hit a number, yep. uh, it can be tricky, especially yes. if you're with an account person who always wants to be a yes person mm-hmm. and thinks that that's the right way when really like it is very healthy. I mean, I mentioned before we started recording that Gary and I recorded earlier today and he has his own agency, Convoke. And we talked about like, where have you drawn the lines about the services you will and won't offer? Mm-hmm. And and when do you bring in somebody else to partner with on something or hand over business to someone else? Because agencies like to think that they can be an all-service agency, but you can't. Mm-mm. And how that's okay. You, how could you be an expert in all things? Right. I. I struggle with that too. It's uh, you know, people say you're you're the strategist, you're the social strategist, but then they ask me a question about influencers, and I'll say, nope, my colleague Melissa knows way more about that. So yeah, you know, let's bring her into a conversation. Right, right, definitely. Um, it's also how you prevent burnout, right? Because if I you were trying so. to do all of that, like being aware of all the pockets of conversations on the internet, and then also influencer relationships and navigating that and then on top of that if you were like also very into like live streaming and like you're like oh I just spend all my time mm-hmm. sort of gallivanting around the internet to understand all this stuff and I couldn't do anything right <laughs> so yeah it is that is a a tall order and it's it's just unhealthy for and like why not get other people paid who are good at it I hope so yeah or build your team right yeah that's what I mean yeah like why yeah. not hire and get those people get paid them who in. know what they're doing yep then try to do it all yourself, burn out, and then eventually hit a place where you're right. asking for more budget because, like, everything's on fire. Yes. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> – then you have no really – like, it's, in my opinion, at least very important to negotiate when you can be sort of, like, removed from the situation. Mm-hmm. But when you're in dire need, like, nobody likes the smell of desperation. Nobody does. It's not a good no. – it's not a good negotiating thing. Yeah. It's like, but I can't do it anymore. Yeah. That's bad. Um, when it comes to briefs, what to you makes a good brief? 
Well, a good brief is kind of like, um, it's all these components of the plan, you know, who's your target audience, what are your key messages, what's your desired outcomes, uh, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve, uh, what do we know, what research do we have, what research should we go do, um, you know, what are the three things we want them to know as a result of this uh, this effort, whatever it is on social, whether it's a live broadcast or, or what have you, how are we going to measure it? What, you know, what are the success measures? Um, I'm trying to like pull into my brain, my visual of the briefs. I could tell that you were like mentally visualizing what your brief looks like. Yeah. Because I mean, upon my arrival here at Providence, there were a number of different briefing documents and, um, we just, have been working to standardize on the briefs and then putting them into the center of excellence that our team is uh, building so that it's all documented. And, you know, the brief, the briefing process for paid social is very different than the, than the briefing process for an event versus because we're doing coverage, right? Which, right. you know, is very different. And, you know, w- what does the brief look like for creating, you know, content uh, that we're going to then subsequently just push out organically? So these different types of briefs, you could have a master brief, I guess, but at the same time, there's so many nuances to each of these things. It's it's kind of like recipe cards. Yeah. And I think about them. I'm like, well, what kind of meal are we cooking here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I speak in analogy speak a lot. Yeah, which uh, I love. So it's like, well, what are we cooking tonight? Are we cooking Japanese food? Are we cooking, you know, Indian food? Are we cooking Chinese food, American food? Like, yeah. what, what are we cooking here? Uh, and I feel like the brief is that very first process. And if someone can't articulate a good brief, you're in trouble. Yeah. And your job as a strategist is to get the brief out of them. Mm-hmm. So again, like I said, Curiosity, yeah. you, you have to pull it out of them. And sometimes people reject that. They think a brief is a blocker. They're like, oh, gosh, I've got to fill out this online form. Like, oh, she won't talk to me in, until I've you know, filled out this brief. But it's a great forcing function. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes if they see that as a barrier, then you say, great, put 30 minutes on my calendar and let's fill out the brief together. Yeah. Definitely. And sometimes it's because people have not been forced to fill out a brief before. So it's Mm -hmm. awkward to them or they're like, I don't, I don't really know. What what do you mean? What are my key messages? Right. Yeah. If they don't come from a messaging positioning world. It's like, yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, let me, let me articulate for you. Yeah. Right. That's true. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with people thinking that everyone's on the same page. I think a lot of people get so steeped in their work mm-hmm. that they're not used to thinking outside of their organization. They're not right. used to having to explain their line of business or their goals or anything because they think it should be obvious to everyone. Yeah. And um, it's not the case. Like no. if we can't agree on basic things as humans, right. certainly no one can pull apart the layers of your business no way. and understand what that is right. and like what you see success as and like yep. what that means and like why that is success, right? Like you want to build brand awareness, but like then what? Like what's your plan? What's mm-hmm. your next step? And yeah. one thing I love that I think I saw that you said on another podcast is like that social media is important at every, uh, what is it? like Every stage of the funnel. Every stage of the funnel, which yes. I love because I think a lot of times it's brought in as just like a solution for one section. Yep. 
And it really is important to keep in mind that it is something that... Yeah. Did you listen to the Flip My Funnel podcast with Sangram? Maybe. Was there a long intro? We might have been talking about axe throwing from our... Uh, Connex speaker th- after party. Maybe, I think so. Or it might have been with social pros. I was talking to Adam I think uh, that's Brown and Jay Bear. I think it was social pros. They have but, like an orange and white website. Oh, yep. Well, <laughs> convince and convert. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I still firmly stand by that, mm-hmm. that social media isn't just, you know, the instant fix for just this little thing. Right. Um, if you're doing that, you're, you're really... Uh, you're just kind of swiping at something without really, yeah, you know, fixing it. Maybe you're just giving them a little bit of Advil, but you're not figuring out, you know, why you're having back pain. Yeah. Um, and if you do it right, it is through the whole funnel. But I have this framework, and people who listen to me on podcasts are probably sick of me repeating this framework. But it's <laughs> the CEII framework. You're going to connect with your audience, then you're going to engage your audience and then influence the audience. Mm -hmm. And then your last job is to integrate. So how are you going to, you know, start to pull all of it through across every aspect of the customer journey, but not just, um, not just to the customer, but on the back end with your internal groups, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to, if you say uh, digital transactions is your you know thing that you are measuring that's your ROI that's a conversion right right uh, but that conversion isn't going to happen just on its own you have to have the awareness and the consideration first mm-hmm. and I can be way more effective in social media if I start with this large target audience that I'm sending out you know these paid social video, Add units to, and I I build a pixel pool, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to understand who watched that content and who watched it for three seconds versus who made it to the middle versus who made it to the end and and or shared it. Right, I'm looking for signals, and then I come back and retarget them with the next stage in in you know the journey, and try to start pulling them through till we get to the place where the transaction could happen. And in a perfect world, what Facebook is building and other social platforms are doing too but Facebook seems to be faster at it than everybody else mm-hmm. is enabling the the transaction to r- happen right there in feed right so yeah. don't jump me to and you've heard me use this analogy before too is the the we're living in the mobile social economy we don't live in the web-based economy right. anymore and so if you make me move from social that is the hot tub Mm-hmm. Over the cold swimming pool that is the website, yeah, I am ten times more likely to jump out of that experience because I don't want to do that. I, right. I should be able to book an appointment or make a call right there. So if you haven't integrated on the back end Facebook Messenger and tied it to your app or to you know your your scheduling service or to your you know customer care center, um, you know that's that's too much. It's too much for them to do, and they won't do it. Especially it's because, and I'm astonished sometimes how people don't put themselves on the user end, like, mindset at all. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, do you enjoy doing that? On mobile? Do you like pinching and squeezing and trying to, like... Totally. Like, And then do you like having to copy and hold your thumb that it cut and pastes the the number, and then you switch, or, like, you know, at least it's a hyperlink, maybe, like... 
Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, you don't like it, so why would your why customer? Why would anybody else like, like it? If anything, I end up emailing myself websites so yeah. that I can then open it on my desktop and do it properly from there because I just really can't. I hate it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it is very interesting to me how a lot of people remove themselves. Like, they walk into work and take off their human hat mm-hmm. and then put on their, like, hat of like but here's what it's I think good people enough. should do yeah, yeah they put on the good enough hat yeah. like no the good enough hat's not going to cut it and that's when you get disrupted so totally and healthcare is being disrupted right now absolutely there's there's no question uh it is a a major time for transformation and just like you saw the consumerization of it mm-hmm. you're seeing the consumerization of healthcare. Mm-hmm. but it's such a huge you know, picture, and it's so complex. I don't think, when you think about our world of social media and how complex it is, it's been very eye-opening for me to see how complex the healthcare system is between providers and payers, and um, wow, I mean, there's so much to be done, and the technology deficit is so great. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it really just comes down to technology and the people. Mm-hmm. And we're very fortunate here that we have just amazing leadership that is looking ahead and focused on health 2.0. Mm-hmm. And so that it becomes not this black healthcare data is like this black box that right. only these doctors, but these doctors never talk to each other. So, you know, nobody's got a holistic yeah, picture. It's horrifying. That you're moving to this place where, you know, maybe it's on par that you have the same amount of power as, you know, the the institutions have. Eventually, though, the place that the, everyone's going to try to get to is where I have, I am the the owner of my health data. And then I choose who I share that data with right. so that I can, you know, be more holistic in, in my care. Yeah. And there could be nothing more personalized than care. And so when people look at me kind of with the, the dog, you know, head flopped, you moved, <laughs> you moved from the tech sector to the healthcare sector. I'm like, yeah, it's an exciting time. I like, yeah, I like where this is going. And I like the, the idea that, um, that we can use social media to help people understand that health happens before health like you need us as your health partner, right? right. Uh, or the emergency room, right? We're we're we we're thinking about your whole life journey, and social media is such a great way to be able to understand people and personalize the message to, to you know give them the information they need at the right time on the right channel, yeah, uh, to help them. Yeah, and people the, are on it anyways. Yes. You're reaching people where they want to be reached. Yes. Maybe maybe they didn't know that getting on, but yeah. like they were going to see something from a healthcare company today. Right. But you're reaching people where they are yes. versus otherwise your only interface is with like, yeah. you know, actual physical mail. Yeah. Emails that like who is opening emails from healthcare providers really? And when they come in and there's already a problem. Yeah. And at that point, the way that most facilities are right now is like, Doctors are slammed. Nurses are slammed. There's not usually deeper conversations about your daily choices. It's like, okay, well, this is wrong right now. We're not mm-hmm. going to talk to you about the fact that, like, you're significantly overweight and, like, that's why you have knee problems. This yeah. is not just a knee problem. Right. Or perhaps the reason that you're having neck spasms is because you're really stressed and, like, here's some things that you can be doing to change your life to be less stressed. Mm-hmm. Instead, you just get, like... 
I don't think I've ever shared this on this podcast, but like I went to the doctor probably a year and a half ago and I was like, okay, there's like three things that are not okay. Cause I, I'm just someone who doesn't go to the doctor that much uh-huh. because for what, like there's not really much that I feel like I need to go for. Yeah. And I was like, my, I've had really bad TMJ uh-huh. ever since an injury in high school. Oh no. And it's gotten worse because Ow. I'm incredibly stressed out. Yep. And I was like, and I've, when I've been smiling, I've been having, my jaw next... hurts just listening yeah, to that. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And was I, it causing migraines? Well, it was, I don't even know if it's considered a migraine because mm-hmm. I've never really like, I don't really get headaches mm. at all. Oh, you're lucky. Very lucky. <laughs> I'm so glad. But it literally, there were times and it would only happen when I was really stressed out where it would literally feel like there was just a drill going into the side of my head and it was v- next to my jaw. So yeah. I'm like, of course, this is what's causing it. Yeah. And I'm stressed on a computer. So my shoulders are tight and everything. And a few times I'd smiled and had a total neck spasm. And I was like, oh my God, my body's like rejecting happiness. Like obviously something's not okay. So it was like, there's jaw stuff. I'm super stressed. I'm tired. And also my head hurts. Right. My head hurts. But then also like I'm fair skinned. I have like moles that are like irregular. Can you take a look? And this doctor was so like dismissive of all three of those things. Mm -hmm. Soup and just brought up like that I wasn't on birth control. And I was like, no one's talking to you about that. Like, I'm 30 years old. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm, like, well-educated in this department. I can manage. And, like, she would not address any of the... She was like, oh, well, I wouldn't worry about irregular moles if I were you because all of your moles are irregular. And I was like, oh, really? Like, with my history, personal history and family history of skin cancer and being a redhead, you just wouldn't worry about that? Great. Thanks for the support, right? And then also told me that, like, being stressed was like, and the symptoms I was having of stress was like very normal for people my age. And I was like, that's not constructive. Like you're really not like there was literally, and between each grievance that I had, Mm -hmm. she brought up birth control. So Mm -hmm. she brought it up three times total in our conversation. And by the end of it, I was like, yeah. And and so I like, I told another, because I had to go there for something that was like semi-urgent a few months later. Uh Uh-huh. And they were like, well, who do you normally see? I was like, I don't know her name, but look it up in the system, and I never want to see her again. Like, it was that bad. Wow. I was like, she was completely not listening. And so I ended up going to an acupuncturist for my jaw and then to a homeopathy doctor who, like, has worked with me on all of the aforementioned problems. Mm -hmm. And it's been great. Like, good. I'm doing much better. But I just was like, seriously, you're not even going to ask. Like, none of this matters to you. Like. You want to write me a prescription for a problem I have not discussed. And that's also, like, that's sort of a personal subject. It is. Very personal. And I was like, look, if you think I'm depressed now, watch me on birth control. (laughs) You want to see me depressed and psychotic? It it will not be pretty. I won't have any more friends to talk to about my Who will I lean on? Because no one will like me. I'm so sorry you had that experience. But it's also, like, it's, I think, I mean... I think it's pretty normal, unfortunately, because, and I don't, I wasn't even upset with her Mm -hmm. because doctors are like, I think there's some statistic that like for every hour with a patient, they have to do like two hours with like paperwork and computer stuff. So it wasn't that I was like, oh, you're a bad person. You don't care about patients. No one goes through medical school because it's fun, right? Like nobody's doing that because it's enjoyable and it's like worth the hopeful, like paying off your student loan debt someday. Like people go into that because at some point they did care. Yep. And then we have a whole the, campaign around hashtag why I care. Right. There's a lot Which, of reasons why people yeah. go into this line of work. And yeah. it wasn't to do the paperwork. I'll tell you that. No. And and with, like you were saying, the technology adoption being what it is, like it needs to be better so that doctors can do their jobs and be proud of the way that they're doing yes. their jobs. 
and that patients can receive that care. And um, it's 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 getting better. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a lot of natural language processing. Yeah. So it is, you know, if it feels impersonal sometimes where they're sitting there taking notes, it's because they have to, I mean, they, you know, in the regulated industry, you have to put that information in, right? It's a log um, into Epic and um, trying to figure out how someone can actually look at you and record the conversation um, is right there alone. That natural language processing to be able to document with a conversation is a huge time saver. Yeah, And so looking at ways that uh, technology can come in and absorb some of the tasks that are very time-consuming. And yeah. then, uh, you know, B.J. Moore is our CIO. He's formerly of Microsoft. Um, you know, lots of ideas of, you know, what the future of, of health will look like. And um, we entered a strategic alliance with Microsoft. I don't know if you saw that oh, in the cool. news, but we're going to build the prototype of a hospital of the future and what would it look like? Amazing. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, think about also the environment of, you know, I came into this room, it's kind of sterile and yeah. my heart rate's already elevated. You're going to take my blood pressure, but I was anxious coming in just because I have to be here and this doesn't feel very welcoming. And like, how do you help people, you know, you know, share some of the most intimate things with someone else um, because they need help. Right. And And jog their awareness of what those are, right? Like so many people go to the doctor and they're attributing it to one particular thing, but the doctor doesn't know. Like the homeopathy doctor I went to asked me, she was like, oh, and how do you sleep? Because I noticed that you live in a downtown area. I was like, oh my gosh, no one's ever brought that up before. Yeah. Right. And like, that is an important thing. Yeah. Because you have a lot some, of noise. Yeah, because yeah. if someone's not sleeping well, like sleep is definitely a, a contributing factor. Need. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and so, like my, I've talked to relatives before who've gone to the doctor, and I'm like, look, as someone who's in your life on a regular basis, here's the problem. Like, of course, the doctor couldn't find the problem because they don't know that you basically have insomnia and you won't admit it. Yep. <laughs> like, so that's why X, Y, and Z is happening, right? Like. Yeah, you told the doctor you go to the gym every day. But you didn't tell them but the you, rest of the information. Right, but you didn't include the fact that, like, when you go to the gym, you sit in the hot tub for half an yeah. hour and maybe take a walk on the treadmill and then, like, yeah. have a cup of coffee in the lobby. Yeah. Like, so this is not, like, yeah, it's just interesting the way. So when you can unpeel those layers and you have time and headspace to do that, um, everyone, like, no one, everyone will benefit from that situation. I think so. What caused you to switch from tech to healthcare? Well, I'm coming into probably the later part of my career. Um, I won't tell everybody on the podcast how old I am, but I've been doing social media for 12 years. I mean, I started in 2007, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was at a point in time where it's like, if I'm going to be doing work, it needs to be meaningful work for me. That's not to say that the work that I did at DocuSign wasn't meaningful, but... Right. I, I have this real sense of urgency to do social media for social good. Yeah. And uh, when my boss, Mary Runoff Hansen, she reached out to me <clears throat> and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking of hiring someone, you know, for the social strategy director. Do you, do you know anyone? And I stopped for a second and 
because of course I was just going to do my usual Caitlin connector thing. You know me, I love mm -hmm. to connect people. It's like in some former life I was either in recruiting or I was a matchmaker. I don't know what I was, <laughs> but I love, I love to connect people. So I was about to be like, oh, Mary, you should talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I, I paused for a second and I thought, you know, I really am interested in health in general and I would like to see social media be used for this social good because health isn't just about your physical health. It's about your, your, your mental health, your behavioral health. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of things go down as a result of, you know, social media that, um, you know, may not be for the betterment of society. Yeah. Um, and I started to think about, you know, what's next? If, if this were my final tune, you know, that I'm going to play in my social media career, you know, do I want to, do I want to look back and say I made a difference, you know, like a marked difference? Um, and so I said, you know what, I'd be willing to come do an informational interview and just the mission called to me. I'm not a religious person, but the, the mission of, a, you know, helping the vulnerable and the poor really spoke to me. The heritage that we were founded by women and we're one of the... Oh, I did not know that. Six women founded us and we're one of the oldest women-run uh, businesses in the country. That's fascinating. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Um, and, and, you know, regardless of someone's opinion of, of religion, um, that says something to me. That I'm all about female empowerment. Yeah. And if we're going to close that gap, um, I, that, that sold it for me. And then Mary's just a genius, so that sold it for me. And then I <laughs> met the rest of the team, and they're brilliant. And so just it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, all the stars are aligning here. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, sometimes you just close your eyes and you, you take a leap. Yeah. And it was really, it was a tough decision. It really was. It yeah. really was. But I think, you know, here I am. Um, I am, I am still in learn it all mode. I, I just still have so many questions. People are like, Caitlin, what's your Providence social strategy? And I said, well, we have our current set of social strategies. <laughs> yeah. But I need a, way more information. So we're working a lot right now on, on, measurement and getting all of the social data in across, mm -hmm. you know, we operate in seven different states. That's yeah. a lot of, and we have over 200 different social channels. That's a lot of channels. That's a lot of social signals. Yeah. And then how are you marrying that social data with other business systems data so that you can extract the channel insights and the message insights and the creative insights and the audience insights and, um, yeah, I just, like, I'm at the tip of the iceberg, and it's really yeah. fun. Well, and, too, and I've, I've noticed this with a lot of organizations, that if your goal is to help people who are vulnerable, like vulnerable populations, mm -hmm. you also need to understand where they are on mm -hmm. the Internet. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you're not really reaching those people. Right. And that, that's, um, I was actually really happy with, because I had a similar conversation with the Big Brother, Big Sister organization here, because I'm a big sister in it. Mm -hmm. And great. Thanks. I mean, it Thank is great. You. I like it. I, Thank you I really like that. it. And I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And um, when I talked to them, because I, at first, I was like, oh, this is great. And then once I understood, I was like, oh, 
parents have to agree to this too. Mm-hmm. And so my question to their director, who's wonderful, was I was like, hey, I'm really interested in understanding how you're getting kids in this organization because if the barrier is that parents have to sign their kid up, like then you're missing all the kids whose parents aren't involved. And like, how are you getting kids in group homes? Like, because mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of friends who grew up in group homes and mm-hmm. then I used to volunteer in one with my dad. And it's like, where are you, how are you reaching those kids, right? Mm-hmm. Because those, like someone who's running a group home, they're exhausted. It's an exhausting, it is emotionally, and it's wildly like taxing. You're not making a ton of money, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're just trying to help these kids survive. Like one of my close friends in college we had like, I was really frustrated with him because I was like, you're just not pulling good grades. Like what mm-hmm. is going on? Mm-hmm. And then he explained to me like, well, I grew up in a group home. All that was ever expected with me is that I passed. Mm. The bar has never been set higher higher than just doing the bare minimum. And I was like, oh, wow, I'd never even thought of that because I was grounded if I had as low as a B minus. Mm-hmm. Like I had to have all A's or B's, which means I was basically grounded as long as I had a history class. Because that is <laughs> that was like, your... my worst subject by far. It's like to date. And I love learning about history. Yeah. Useless at retention. Yeah. Absolutely useless. So like I was basically grounded from the seventh grade <laughs> until halfway through junior year of high school, oh. I think. Um, but look at you now. Your dad must be so proud. Uh, Prophet, let's hope. I don't okay. know. If, dad, if you're listening, give me a call and just <laughs> tell me. <laughs> Which is, this feels terrible, but I've never really cared if my parents were proud of me. Like, it never occurred to me for that to matter to me. So I feel really bad when my friends are like, I just don't think my parents are, like, proud of what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I've never thought about that. (laughs) And my parents tell me that, and I'm like, oh, that's good. But I don't, like, (laughs) I don't have an emotional response to it, really, because I'm, like, I think that I, the bar for myself is much higher than what anyone else puts for me. So someone else being proud of me is kind of a, like, that's just icing on the cake. Like, were you- sort of. It's almost, like, irrelevant to me yeah. sometimes. Like, unless I'm really, like, there's um, somebody I dated who once told me that they were proud of me, and I was like, wow, really? Like, I was like, thank you. <laughs> because also that person's very hard to impress. Right. Versus, like, my parents are basically, like, just always on board. So I'm like, yeah, well, you've never really been upset thus far. So, like, about my adult life choices. Certainly as a teenager, always upset at me. But <laughs> as an adult, haven't been that upset. Oh, well, that's um, good. So how did you how did you wrap your head around the transition from tech to like because I imagine they expect you to come in here sort of hitting the ground running in a way or was there room for you to take a few months to absorb things like what was your onboarding process like because that is that is tough after being mm. at the same place for a while going to a net new industry and team Well, I still consider myself in the middle of the onboarding process. I really feel that anyone's first 12 months on a job, you're onboarding. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, People are like, well, what was your first month like? Or, you know. uh, Like being waterboarded. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Careful. Don't get it on the mic. Um, I was pretty... I was pretty adamant about this 30, 60, 90 day plan that I put together that I gave my boss and then I shared with the team when I came in because I really do believe in transparency, right? You shouldn't just share that kind of information with your boss. Like help everybody else see what it is you're you're wanting to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I spent a lot of time doing 
a social media assessment. An audit had been done already, so I, you know, thankfully Denise has this gorgeous smart sheet that, you know, gave me a pretty good understanding of the landscape from a, from how many channels we had, and you know, we have sprinklers, so we have a really sophisticated tool set. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, so if I wanted to go in and look at some stuff, I could, but not everybody was, you know, using the tool set, and so I found that. These things that I had set out in my 30, 60, 90, you know, some of the things I was able to accomplish, some of them I'm still in the process of trying to do. Yeah. But the transition for me has been uh, life-changing uh, on a couple of different axes. Um, one, I got a diagnosis for my son uh, shortly after I came into Providence um, for my youngest son, Noah, we found out that he's on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if, if the transition or the transformation over wasn't enough on a, on a professional level, I was, you know, thrown this curveball on, on a personal level and suddenly was in the health sector. And I was like, wow, I don't know if the universe had intended this to be this way, but um, I was about to go through an exercise in how do you find out information, seek out, you know, help and support uh, while you're going through, you know, this, you know, change of job from, you know, tech sector to healthcare sector. Um, and it, it was challenging and still is challenging. And I, I like challenges. There is no question that if you said, Caitlin, are you up for the challenge? I'm up for the challenge. So it's not easy to uh, get me to quit. I would say I have the inverse problem. I have ridden dead horses long, <laughs> long past when I should have gotten off the horse. So the transition for me has been a lot about self-exploration, mm -hmm. right? What, what actually really matters here? Mm -hmm. And what uh, what do I want to learn from this experience? Mm -hmm. And every time I feel uncomfortable, you know, I'm learning something. Yeah, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Exactly, but people are not okay with that. No. When people get uncomfortable, the thing that they want to do the most is get right back into that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So. One of the things I am better at saying now is, I don't know. Let me think about that. Uh, because they are looking, saying, hey, you're the social strategy director. What's the answer here? Right. And uh, it's, I don't know. I need more information. Yeah. Let's go do, you know, some listening. Let's go do some research on the numbers. Let's, you know, go investigate this. And... I'm trying to learn to also have a greater level of patience. In the tech sector, things move really, really fast. Totally. Way faster. And, and there's less limitations. Yes. Well, right? we're a regulated industry, and, yeah. and that you know that was the wild, wild west. Of, That's what of I mean. Signature. Yeah. Like, so yeah. So I have come over here, and things that I would normally you know okay, let's place the you know there's no pixel place. Great, let's place a pixel. Nope, can't do that. Regulated industry here, right? That's yeah. PII, uh, unless we have you know a, a DMP and you know it's secure and encrypted and. Yada yada yada. We won't we won't agree to do that. So 
some of the things that I was used to deploying as usual tactics, they're not strategies, they were tactics. Right. Yeah, the mechanics. Yeah, I some of those things I've not been able to do. And so I'm having to think outside the box a bit more. Right. And, and that has been um, very powerful in reminding me of the need to build relationships. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm still learning um, who all I need to have relationships with here in order to do the important work that I'm trying to do. Yeah. Because it takes a village. Definitely. And it's going to take time. And befriending your legal team. Yes. And our (laughs) risk team. Right. And our information systems team. Yeah. And our, and our, like the, the number of teams you have to interact with, um, it's both a blessing and a curse, right? Because it's going to take more time and you need to bring more people on the journey with you. Yeah. And some people have been here, um, you know, for years and years, but we had our big communication offsite. So I'm in the communication org because my degree is in speech comm. And uh, for most of my career that I've been in social media, I've always been in a comm org structure, but mm-hmm. you know, I, like I said, I dabble in marketing and service and support and sales and all those things that, that become part of the, the journey. But we were in the communication offsite and our CEO, Dr. Rod Hockman, uh, did a fireside chat and um, we then learned a lot about you know, where he sees us going in the next five years. And uh, then it was opened up to a Q&A, and I rose my hand really high. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not shocked. You're not? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised either if you knew me. You're like, oh, shocker, Caitlin's yeah. asking a question. Uh, and I said, what's your advice to uh, new members of the organization. We're called caregivers here. We're Mm -hmm. not employees. We're caregivers. That's awesome. And what's your advice to uh, the caregivers who are new? Mm -hmm. And to that end, what's what's your advice to caregivers who are veterans who have been here for a long time? And then he smartly asked the room, how many of you are new? Mm -hmm. And about a third of us in the room raised their hand. Mm -hmm which is a great sign. He was excited. He was, Dr. Rod Hartman was super excited about that. He's like, this is great. Yeah. Thank you all, you know, for coming. My advice to the people who are new is to learn as much as you can. Yeah. Find a buddy or, or mentors who can help you learn as fast as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then he said to the, he said, and to the veterans who, you know, of the company, uh, of our organization, we're not a company, we're a, we're a a not-for-profit, so I can't, yeah. <laughs> I got to use that word, um, <laughs> is for uh, them to have a growth mindset. Yeah. So that the the worlds can come together to, to, to find what's the best way to move forward leveraging the power of technology and the power of people yeah. to move forward. And that just really stuck with me. Um, so I think a long winded way of saying, how has the transformation been, um, challenging, mm-hmm. enlightening, uh, soul searching, yeah. uh, and rewarding. Yeah. All of those things. And that's all you could hope for really. Totally. And it's what you were looking for in coming Very here. Very much so. Was all of those things. Yes. Yes. You have managed a few different teams. 
what are some things that you learned in managing a team? Well, I've had a couple of different kinds of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had teams that I'm super bonded with and tight with mm-hmm. on a professional level and a personal level. And yeah. I've had teams where we're not bonded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my advice is um, as the manager, as uh, as someone who's, you know, quote unquote, in charge of a team, um, you have to earn that. That is not a title that you just get to have. Right. Yeah. You have to earn it. And that takes time. You have to build trust and make sure that the people who are reporting to you can come to you, ask you questions and create, you know, a psychology of safety to be able to do their best work. Yeah. And you, as such, I feel like, um, I've learned a lot about how to, um, be more human and have more empathy and compassion. Yeah. Which I'm surprised that you had to learn that because I feel like you're like that already, but maybe I met you. Well, maybe I met you once you'd already like been comfortable being that at work. But I think that there's also a difference between, because there's about a 10 year age gap between mm-hmm. us and there is a big difference in like, and regionally too, right? Like I'm from Southern California where everything is pretty laid back. When I work with people who are from the East Coast or the Midwest, they are a lot more buttoned up, mm. a lot less personal at work. Mm-hmm. They have things that they have decided are appropriate and not appropriate for a work environment. Mm-hmm. And it can be pretty clinical. Mm-hmm. And so learning to navigate that as it relates to like regional differences and then age differences and even people who may have start, started in like finance and then moved to marketing, mm-hmm. you find that everyone sort of has their own preference. And I'm definitely caught off guard sometimes when I meet people my age or younger who have very distinct lines about like, well, this is like a professional environment. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I applaud you for having that boundary at the same time. Like, that's not who I am. Right. Like, I, I don't. I bring my whole self to work. So. Right. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Exactly. (laughs) And so I'm happy. Like, then that is then my signal. Like, cool. You don't like small talk? Great. I don't need to bother with that anymore Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm mostly Mm -hmm. like a chatty person to make other people feel comfortable. Yeah. I am fine in silence. Like, I do not need anyone to be talking. (laughs) I am totally, it sounds terrible. And like, um, I don't know, but I am also like not someone who's ever sat at dinner and had silence and gone, like, what do we need to talk about? I'm like, yeah. oh, I guess we're just yeah. fine. I don't even think about it. It's just yeah. fine with me. It doesn't yeah. bother me at all. <laughs> Unless I think someone's mad and then it is me and just it trying to solve you. it. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is interesting, though, how I've, I've seen a lot of... Um, but those management styles, um, as are, as we have five generations yeah. of people in a workplace, yeah, and being able to solve for the needs state of five different generations, again, Mm -hmm. I'll do an analogy, that would be like I have to solve for a baby, a toddler, a teenager, an adult, and an elder. Right. All in one household. Yeah. And when people are talking about how do I keep the, you know, 
the people, because that is your most powerful asset of any organization. How do I keep them motivated mm-hmm. and excited and, you know, wanting to do their best work? Mm-hmm. Um, your core leaders, that's what we're called here at Providence, your core leaders have an incredible amount of responsibility to make sure that you are helping people. Right. You are helping them do their best work to stay motivated and interested and to get the information and the tools and the resources they need to do their best work. Yeah. At the same time, uh, we have a lot of things that are at a deficit. Mm-hmm. So they've wanted to do their best. Yeah. But they have been hamstrung in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. And they've been told sometimes, time and time again, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and yeah, and um, it hasn't it hasn't happened for them. Because I think in the healthcare world, again, I don't know this for a fact, but what I've I've read was technology was promised as being this amazing thing that was going to really help the healthcare sector when yeah. technology came on the scene, but it didn't advance or evolve as fast as it did in in the tech sector. Right. And so it's been actually, I think, more of a burden right. than it's been helpful. And yeah. so when I came here and I've been talking about the power of Sprinkler and how a tool set can really be helpful, people kind of look at me like, really? Right. Really? Because they've been burned too many times. Is that going to be helpful? You're going to make me use a tool? No, I'm just going to be on my mobile phone and I'm going to switch between my Twitter account, my personal account, and then the work account. Right. You know, um, so trying to help people understand how by encouraging them to do some of the things I'm encouraging them to do in the long term, Mm -hmm. it's going to pay off for them. Right. But helping them see those investments mm-hmm. as long-term opportunities that are going to yield, you know, greater productivity and greater and even something else efficacy. on your resume. Yeah, like, yeah, it'll help. It helps the whole team in this job. Yeah. It can help you in this job specifically. But if you've only ever done things in this like sort of antiquated way, then when you go to look for another job someday. Mm-hmm you're going to be in a very tricky position where you haven't adopted these tools that yep. are standard across any any even like mid-sized company. Right. Like Sprinkler is pretty standard for both large and mid-sized mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. So it's that is something that uh, I have in hitting walls before used as the carrot. It's like, well, what if you want another job someday? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, because sprinkler isn't something that you just learn overnight. It no, takes time. It takes time. And and training and development is a big portion of what we need to do. So like what I have printed out here is like this big fat. What you're looking at here is the first deliverable in my new job is wow. a social media playbook. How many pages? So she printed out the uh, the PowerPoint. How many pages? Is this like It's 54 50? pages. Okay. It's like a mini textbook. Yeah. And I broke it up. Uh, it's in, beautiful. Well, uh, there were a bunch of us that were working on it, so I can't take all the credit for it. But uh, yeah, the table of contents is steep. Let me tell you that it is. Yeah, this is really great, and this is like this is definitely something that um, 
I encourage more companies to like put on the upfront of things yeah. because it does similarly like this is the playbook is not that different from a brief where like you have to do all of that thinking on the upfront. And I had on a director from a creative studio called Chuck Studios in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And she brought up something really interesting that they're doing, which is that they're developing basically um, like a video style book because they do tabletop directions. Really? So like all of those videos uh-huh. of food or yes. whatever where it's like on the table. Yep. That's what they do for McDonald's and like all these large companies and like the sort of whatever the popular tomato sauce of Amsterdam is and things like that. Um is helping companies build a brand book mm-hmm. for that so that way when they go and work with other agencies or do something in-house that they have that. That they're programming these things to be on brand for... Right, exactly. Wow. And like a social media playbook, similarly, a lot of people are like, oh, well, we just follow best practices. And it's like, yeah, I agree. Best practices change over time. Yes. And this However, will evolve. This will be a living, breathing thing. Right. Exactly. But training and, inv- and development has to go with it. So I can't just publish this and put it in a center of excellence and be like, ta-da! Yeah. We're done! Yeah. You know, uh, there's going to be um, ongoing uh, conversations, and uh, we have what are called sprinkler office hours. Oh, cool. Uh, so Denise runs that in partnership uh, with a representative from Sprinkler. Mm-hmm. And um, my colleague, Melissa, uh, the two of us together run social and influencer office hours. Mm-hmm. And anybody can pop in and out. Oh, that's so cool. I love Just that. Just come have these office hours. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be working really well. Uh, well, you would ask for advice and tips about management. I'm talking about how to actually But that's also help, helpful, I think. Help get this out there into the, the organization. But um, it's... It's a, oh, I think Grad Con probably said this best. Uh, you have to have the mindset first, mm-hmm. the growth mindset first. Then you have to help people have the skill set. Mm-hmm. And then they can adopt the tool set. Yeah, that so is very you, true. So if you try to go straight to, hey, come adopt this thing, mm-hmm. they're never going to do it. They'll fundamentally reject it. Yeah. I mean, nobody likes to be told what to do. No. Myself included. Yeah. I actively rebel anything that I'm told. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even necessarily take a movie recommendation. Because if someone face t- value? Yeah. No. If someone's... <laughs> like, it took me probably... Do you, do you trust Rotten Tomatoes or do you trust your friends? Who do you trust more? I definitely don't trust anyone except for, like, not even my friends. There's, like, maybe six people. Really? And, like, it's a hard sell because I'm not somebody who willingly, like, watches a movie. Yeah. It has to really be, like, worth my time for me to watch it. And so um, there's a few friends whose recommendations I take because they have, like, very specific taste. Ah. And, like, even, okay, so the show Killing Eve, I heard it recommended from a lot of people, ignored it abundantly, just was like, whatever. Yeah, you're like, yeah, 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 I'll well, get to it. It's also because I really love any sort of crime show. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I was like, look, I'm already, I've finally... Like, weaned myself off of Law & Order SVU. Finally, after God knows how many hours of my life yes. I've spent watching that show, which horribly enough puts me to sleep. Like, that's literally wrong with when that. I need to go to sleep sometimes. Yeah. In years past, I have you put on Law & Order SVU, episodes, and yeah. I can't even make it past the opening credits. All right. Which is really, like, 
ridiculous. But I finally was listening to a podcast with someone who was creative. And I don't remember who it was exactly. But I was listening to a podcast and they recommended Killing Eve. And because I respect them and uh-huh. this recommendation also didn't seem like something that they would normally where I was like, oh, maybe this particular crime show is, is different. worth checking out. Because I love the blacklist. Like, I love any sort of action conspiracy. Like, anything, that, which is potentially trash TV, but I love it. <laughs> There's and, nothing wrong with that. And Killing Eve, Caitlin, it is so good. All right. I made my cousin watch it because I've been pressing her to, like, to go to acting classes with me because she has such a, like, good what did she call it? A mimic's ear? Like, mm-hmm. she's so good at impressions, and she's so funny. And also, she's, like, gorgeous. But she and her sister both are two of the funniest people I've ever met, and so good. And I've been pushing them both to do acting classes. And so I showed her this show, because uh, my personal dream as, like, a performer is only to ever do, like, Joan Cusack sort of, like, psychotic roles. Like, I have no interest in, like, normal things. <laughs> That would be fabulous, Lene. <laughs> so I was like, you have to You watch heard it. it here first, folks. Yeah, right. Watch out for the Adams Family remake. <laughs> um, so I made my cousin watch it. And she was also sort of like, oh, yeah, I've seen that show, like, advertising before. I ignored it, whatever. But it's the writing on it so good. It's, like, amazing. Okay. And so it takes, like, very specific recommendations like that. My friend Dom, and, and I'm not, I love a good spoiler, because then it tells me if I should actually watch it. Right. Because I cannot emotionally invest in something if it's going to, like, I get too into movies. So, like, I couldn't watch Split until I already saw Glass and knew how Split ended. Because the suspense of, like, knowing that some girls were going to die but not knowing which one or all of them can't handle it. It's, I will fast forward through the movie because I... You just got to know. Yeah, because I feel like I'm going to have a literal heart attack. Yeah. Like, I am clenching every part of my body... <laughs> Like, I, it's like an hour-long Kegel for me. It's terrible. <laughs> I cannot. I can't do it. It's terrible. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So, anyways, yeah, Killing Eve is amazing. Okay. So, let's switch a little bit to, like, family and personal life. Yes. When you were making this change of companies, did you talk to your husband before opening up that door, or did you go for it? Or, like, how do you guys communicate career stuff with each other? Well, career stuff... Over the years, he's been my biggest cheerleader. That's awesome. Um, Drew, if you listen to this, thank you for always believing in me and pushing me to do my best. Oh, I just got chills, Caitlin. Yeah, he's the best. So we always talk about everything because we are partners. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he, he helped me through a really difficult time in my life right after we IPO'd um, at DocuSign, at DocuSign uh, shortly after that, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Yeah, I remember. And um, and we lost him just about a year ago this October. Yeah. And um, nothing kind of makes you stop and look at what you're doing and how you're spending your time, like when you lose a family member or a loved one. It doesn't always have to be family. Family is, you know, the the people that we choose to be with. Mm-hmm. And I was just really taking stock in life. Mm-hmm. And um, his advice to me was uh, really think about what's next for you. Mm-hmm. What's next? And you need to be open to anything and everything that is next. Yeah. 
And it was at his encouragement that normally, like I said, I'd be like, mm, nope, connect you to, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute, maybe we have a conversation about this. Yeah. And I had other conversations too. My my old boss, Greg, uh, is at Trip Actions now. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And uh, I had talked with Megan, the CMO, about maybe joining Trip Actions and uh, had some meetings with ServiceNow, which was also in the SaaS world and mm-hmm. uh, digital workflows and chatted with them. So the advice was the perfect advice for me, which was stay open. Mm-hmm. And I did stay open through this you know, process of doing some exploration. Uh, and then, you know, the tough part is just about making a decision. And then yeah. it's helping one door to close and the next one to open. But that in-between stage, um, lots of conversation. I think my kids were more stressed out than my husband was. Interesting. Yeah. So they knew that you were looking potentially for another job. They they knew that my time at DocuSign was ending because they uh, DocuSign was going to move the job to San Francisco. Oh. And um, we agreed on a date where we would we would part ways. Okay. Um, and uh, it was a a moment in time where they they asked a lot of questions like, well, what does that mean? Really? Yeah. But then they said, so does that mean you're gonna stay? Like, you know, Gavin, does that mean you're gonna stay home with us for six months, like Daddy did when he? Daddy was looking for a new job? Because <laughs> Drew, you know, when he uh, left HBO, they, you know gave him a sevens package and he was able to stay with them for an entire summer while he figured out whatever his next job was, right? So they're like, oh, is mom staying home? Um, And then my youngest was, well, are we going to be able to pay, you know, all of our bills? Fascinating. And, well, he's my warrior and he's the one that's on the autism spectrum. So, you know, in his mind, things like they have to be more concrete and and, yeah. and explain way further for, in order for him to feel like he has the information he needs. And, of course, um, you know, we as a family, there's conversations that you have with your husband, and then there's conversations that you have together as a family unit. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're little adults. They're 9 oh, and totally. 12 now. Yeah. So you can't have a conversation that they don't understand. Right. They might miss certain elements of it and make some assumptions. But yeah, they might miss a good pun. But yeah, other but, than that. But other than that, <laughs> they are understanding just about everything you're talking about. Yeah. So um, the process was about, you know, three to four weeks of really kind of just... Mm-hmm. Which is brief. In, in the world of job hunting and stuff, mm-hmm. that's like a very condensed mm-hmm. time period to make mm-hmm. all of those decisions and mm-hmm. transitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But there's no such thing as, as a gap. Uh, you know, I, when I was agreeing to come here, I said, you'll have to wait. <laughs> I got to right. wrap up. Yeah. You know, and be respectful yep. to your and team And transition and, and make sure everything's okay. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's a process, just yeah. like life. Everything is a process. And how long were you two married before having kids? We were married for, let's see here, got married in 2005 and had Gavin in 2007. So we were married for about two years and a few months before, uh, two and a half years mm-hmm. before 
Gavin came on the scene. Yeah. But when Drew proposed to me, he was ready for the whole kit and caboodle. He's like, let's yeah. have kids, let's, let's get married, let's have the house, let's do it all. I was like, wah! <laughs> also when she made that sound she put out her hands like stop like yeah. like hold on a second not like immediately I'm not I'm not ready to have well, babies yet I had you know Gavin at 33 and Noah at 36 so for those of you career women uh you know uh it is true that we have taken penalties from having children, and uh, sadly, in some ways, my worst nightmare did come true in that I, I did get laid off on the first one, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I, I had to take some jobs that were lower than what I wanted as I started to come back up, but, um, you know, I got there. Yeah. I got there, but it's my story, and as such, I think I tell my story pretty loudly uh, that I really advocate now that um, women talk about, you know, what what it is they want. Like, right? What do you want? What what does that look like? Do I go back to work? Yeah. And you stay home, Dad. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this traditional thing, right? And, and I and I know families that that do it that way, and um, it's interesting to watch how society casts judgment so fast. Yeah. Like, I think why are you casting I think that judgment? society makes it harder yeah. than it may be in the immediate family circle. I think so. Because men get treated in a very specific way about sort of like it's, it can be very emasculating the way yep. that society treats them. Yep. And then women are treated like we're cold-hearted yep. if we want to have a career still, which... It's also insane because to me, I'm like, yeah, that oh, was so- one of my interview questions when I was coming back from being laid off. I was postpartum six weeks interviewing for a job, mm-hmm. and I won't name names, but a person asked me, "Are you sure you don't want to just be a stay-at-home mom?" And I was like, "Uh huh, I am sure, and I am also sure that this interview is almost over." Right? Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's wild to me. And I, yeah, it is. It was, it was unacceptable The in lack my of opinion. self-awareness sometimes with people and yeah. the way that they Well, and I had others. some people off, make offhanded remarks. Like when I said, you know, they'd ask me, how are you? And I'd say, oh my gosh, I was laid off three days after I gave birth. Oh, well, lucky you. Like, no, yeah. not lucky you. Right, because you can't. No, well, I had to go get a lawyer because they didn't even want to let me keep my benefits and they wanted to put me on COBRA. And the first three months after you've had a baby, there are tons of medical expenses, both for you as the mom and the baby. And I'm like, no. And I had to go lawyer up to go negotiate to keep my medical benefits. Wow. Then And not go on COBRA. Which also, like... Luckily, you were in a place to get an attorney. Most women probably wouldn't have known to get an attorney. And if you even think that you can, like affording an attorney is a yeah. whole totally different, especially if you're not confident in that you're going to That you win. think you can negotiate or that you think right. you could possibly get something than what they're saying that you can have. That is wild. Yeah. But aren't you lucky? Like, no, that is not lucky. That is no. unlucky. Yeah, well, and then because of when you're... And even unfair, but it turns out in Washington State, the law is if you are reducing more than 10% of your workforce, it is legal to lay someone off who is on maternity leave. Really? Yes. I don't know if the laws have changed since then, 
but that was what my employment lawyer told me at the time. Wow. So then did you, what happened with your health care? Did you have to use your husband's insurance? No, or? I lobbied with the lawyer to oh. get to keep my uh, health benefits and yeah. not go on COBRA um, until your maternity leave my maternity have, leave would have ended. Yeah. And then we, I'm, I can't disclose any of the other stuff because I signed an agreement that's up right. to Wazoo, but, you know, we came to some, some agreement. Um, but, yeah. yeah, the fact that you even have to do that when you're not sleeping and you're terrified of the fact that you've got this, this baby. The, the stories that are out there of um, things that have happened to women in the workplace that should never happen again, you know, all I can say is everybody keep telling your stories. Yeah. So that others can hear those stories and know what is and isn't okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how to advocate for, you know, what is fair. Mm -hmm. and it's not like, it's not anything other than what is fair. And I think I got a fair deal mm -hmm. because I did know that I needed to get a lawyer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I did do that. So now, so you and your husband both work and you have two kids. Yes. Do you have a nanny? Do you have a house cleaner? Like, do you have? Uh, yes, help? we have a house cleaner. Um, we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, babysitter three days a week mm -hmm. as part of my negotiation for uh, with Providence. It was you know I need to work from home because I don't have childcare on Fridays, and then Noah with his diagnosis, there's a lot of appointments I need to go take him to OT, PT. Mm -hmm. um, you know. He's got a learning disability too called dysgraphia, so he has to go to a writing tutor. Mm -hmm. So uh, we now call it Wellness Wednesday. And so I work from home on Wednesday and on Friday. And okay. fortunately, I, I, I work for a boss and an organization that understands, you know, that there needs to be flexibility of, of work. Especially when it comes to health. Yes. Like that's, I mean, yes. So, That's so great. but our house runs only because uh, it runs by the hair of its chinny chin chin. <laughs> and anybody who knows the Angeloffs would, if they were all sitting here at the table, the ones who have known us the longest, either my husband or me, and then they know us together as the couple, they would all be laughing right now because they're like, oh, it's on Angeloff time. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, we we are consistently late. <laughs> we might not make it to your function. Um, if we said we were bringing something, we might have forgotten it. Um, yeah, it's just chaos. It's yeah. just chaos. But I have learned to be more okay with it. My husband calls it magooing it. He's like, let's just magoo it. Okay, but for others who are planners that might not work so well, well, if they can't understand it, then they're not our friends. And I'm like, okay, but this is Christmas dinner with my mom and my stepdad, and I'm like, we can't really not do what we said we were going to do. So, you know, are we are we perfect? Heavens, no. Um, but we are deeply committed deeply committed to each other and to our children. And I still giggle and smile when I think about that man. And uh, it was the smartest decision I ever made. If you, again, Drew, are listening to the podcast, you're lucky I'm not going to tell everybody the story of how we met. So uh, for those of you who, who hear me on the podcast and then you run into me at an event, 
you can open it up with, I, I listened to you on the BTS podcast with Lene, and I want to know the backstory of how you and Drew <laughs> met, and we'll leave it at that. Um, you said a really great analogy before we started. Yes, the about, blue plate special. Yes. Can you share that, that marriage uh, advice? Yes. Yes. Please. Yes, and and this is this is true for any sexual orientation whatsoever. Uh, in in picking a partner for life, uh, there is no such thing as the perfect partner. So the analogy I told Lene is that uh, you know if you really like steak and bake potatoes, but it only comes with creamed spinach, which you hate, but the only way you can get the steak and the baked potato is if you get the blue plate special and you ha you, you have to eat the whole plate, right? Like that's how it comes. And uh, so that's, that's what you should be thinking about when you're looking for your life partner. You're never going to find the perfect meal that is the baked potato and the steak and I don't know, what's your favorite vegetable? Oh, I was thinking of a fruit. Okay. <laughs> Your favorite fruit or vegetable that comes with it. It won't it won't happen. It doesn't come. It doesn't come that way. That's I love that. And yeah. I I mean, let that be a good reminder to myself as well. Yeah. Um, this was awesome. The last question that I ask everybody is what is a topic or final product or really anything that you would want to hear a future behind the scenes episode podcast about? Gosh, I knew you were, I, I even know that I've got this question written down right there. I knew you were going <laughs> to ask it. And She's so prepared. And I've been noodling on this one. I'm going to Wait, get, hold on. Let me look at these questions that you have. Let me ask some of these questions. <laughs> hold are on. you stalling so you can buy me some time? Sure. We'll use that <laughs> in, instead of the fact that these are things that I meant to ask and forgot. Because this is something. What skills have you focused on growing and what are you working on now? Well, I'm... I'm working on my patience. That was something I mentioned, my patience skills. Uh-huh. Um, I think some of the skills I've grown is um, having more empathy and compassion mm -hmm. as the years go by, especially as a manager. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really important. Um, and to be human. <laughs> yeah. Be human. Yes. What are you working on now? Still the patience? I'm always working on patience. I think I'm always working on that one. Uh, I'm also working on um, figuring out how to get on. I don't think it's a skill set, but it is something I've always said I wanted to do, which is to be on a board. Oh, okay. And so I've applied uh, to be on the associate board at the Pacific Science Center because oh, I've cool. always had a fascination with science and technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a Seattle native, I would like to be able to give back um, and, and help out. And yeah. then if you go on the associate board, maybe then someday I'll, be, I'll learn some great skills there about how to, how to be part of a board and then maybe uh, join another board. And I'm yeah. going to a luncheon on the 21st, my friend Harini. There's something called Women on Board, so I'm going to go learn more about that, too. Oh, cool. That's so, very cool. Yeah. I think that's what I'm kind of learning right now about is how to, how to extend that empathy and compassion, not just in my job and in my house, but in other things that I am passionate about so that those things can continue. 
Yeah. Um, I'd hate to see a lot of the great things that are out there not, not continue. Um, and I am really excited by uh, the younger generations um, who are already, you know, investing massive amounts of their time in ways that I never did when I was their age. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, some people come in and interview and I'm just like, you, you impressed the pants off of me. <laughs> I was never like you in my 20s and 30s. And look at you, you know, you've studied abroad and you've, you know, you're helping out at the urban rest stop and you're, I mean, just, yeah, I'm blown away by some of the things this yeah. generation does. How do you um, continue to challenge yourself? Oh, sorry, were you not done? You oh, no, that's it. Okay. How do I continue to challenge myself? Yeah. Which is something I usually ask people, but you have a lot going on. So I was like, where is she? Like, I feel like you inherently are always challenging yourself. I, I think it's the, the way that I was brought up by my parents. My parents were teachers, mm -hmm. and so was my sister. But then my sister became an entrepreneur at 25 and started all that dance. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so she was, she got her teaching degree, but she, then she teaches dance and she's built this whole curriculum. But my, my point being, my parents instilled in me at a very young age to seek out opportunities to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like to challenge myself. What would challenge me next? I think learning more about China. I just visited China for the first time and my eyes were really opened to uh, how how the global economy is shifting and and quite frankly, I think it's inevitable that China will become the number one economy in the world, despite yeah. what anybody else says or what administrations Agreed. do. It's just it's not a question of if it'll be when. And yeah. so, I think my next challenge is to to think across the international line and. Uh, what what new skills might be needed, uh -huh. you know, uh, to be able to do more of the um, contributions to an international global economy, whatever that might look like. There are a few podcast episodes I will send you. Oh, please do. Because that is uh, something that is on my mind yeah. regularly and yeah. that I do a lot of uh, thinking and, I, and like reading and research about. I would love that. And I would love to find an excuse and a reason to get back to to China. Yeah, because your your visa should be good for another 10 years, right? I think so. Yeah, same. I have it for another at least seven Although I have to go look at it because when I was traveling, a, a bunch of us went to China for Laurel's wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, and so there were about 20 of us from DocuSign, either current or former, that were there in China for her wedding. And uh, Laura and Brock had asked me, well, you know, didn't you get the visa for like 10 years? I'm like, I don't think so. I think I checked the box that said 60 days because in my brain I thought I'm only going to be there for two weeks, but I better, you know, I better just play it safe. It had a 30-day option, a 60-day no, option, 60 day or whatever. Option. I could be totally wrong, yeah. but I had the same boxes. Yeah. And it's basically that you can't spend more than 60 consecutive days in China during your 10-year visa. Oh, my gosh. If that is true. So check it. Hallelujah. It'll because say it they on your were passport. flipping me so much shit. They're like, <laughs> you only you went through that whole process? Because it's a nightmarish habit. process. Oh, it's an exhaustive process. I had to get a letter from my chief communication officer saying that I was not going to do any work while I was in China, oh. that I was there on personal business. And... I did not bring this lovely laptop with me or or anything. Yeah, and well, I was like, 
wow. And I asked other people who went through the process. I'm like, did you have to get a letter? Like, Laura works at Amazon. I'm like, Amazon have to write you a letter that, that you weren't going to work over there? She's like, no. Yeah, I didn't have to do that either. All right. Well, I'm special. Clearly, we I'm know. special. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just lucky like that. Um, so back to your question, what would I like to see for a future episode? Yes. Golly, I'm going to say I want you to get uh, behind the scenes with whoever is doing the social media for uh, Star Wars. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. And I think you and I both know her I name. I think we do. I think it's uh, from our, our Facebook group that we're both part of. Indeed. I will find her and see if, if Disney will allow it. I don't know if Disney will, but I'm dying to get the backstory on Disney Plus and mm. understand what they're going to do. I mean, her work, her and the team, their work. What about their work? Because I'll be honest, I'm not a... I don't really follow Star Wars or Disney. What? I know. I know. Lenae. I know. Okay, this is something I did not know about (laughs) you. So what you're saying is is you will not be at the Cinerama for the last episode? I mean, I've never been to Cinerama, (gasps) so if that tells you anything. That's it. you Girl, (laughs) you and I... Although if you're as picky as I think you are about how you what you watch, I'm going to have to float a number of suggestions of movies to you as to what we can go watch at the Cinerama together. But you are having chocolate popcorn come hell or high water and sitting in the most fantastic chairs you've ever sat in to Noted. watch a movie. Noted. Um, I just, I love everything about how they go to market in... Um, in a way that involves the fans. Mm, mm-hmm. It just, it's practically by them, for them, with them. Yeah. And yet, you know she's sitting there driving it. Right? Totally. She's orchestrating it. Yeah, and knows all of the moving pieces, know where the fans yes. exist, know what they respond to. Yes. Which, because that is not a fan base that you want to. Piss off. No. They are... Rabid. I'm reading a Rabid. piece in like a like probably a few weeks old now, New Yorker. Yeah. About uh, this girl who tweeted something just saying that she wanted Nicki Minaj to like write more mature stuff because mm-hmm. she's nearly forty now. Yeah. And this then basically Nicki Minaj got pissed and like all of the Nicki Minaj fans came after her. And this girl was a Nicki Minaj fan up until this point. Like huge fan. It was just like, hey, I want to hear her like yeah. have some more mature content about like she's a very like badass businesswoman like why aren't we talking about that you know and the fans went after and then it it went on to give other examples of like star wars fans that like went Uh after certain like things and i think wanted like a specific movie or something taken out Uh of like the canon of Uh star wars movies and like we're not into it and same with game of thrones like a bunch of people were petitioning to have season eight rewritten because yeah i saw they thought that it implied that like women go crazy with power which in all fairness like the king before her also went crazy with power. So yes. like, but it was just like very, and I, I love. I think he was called the Mad King, wasn't yes, he? Yes, in fact, he was. And so if, I, if I've got my GOT right, right. And so, um, mic drop. <laughs> yeah, I love any research around fandom. I yeah. think that fandom is fascinating, and so I definitely have a lot of respect for her because that is not that, that is, is a group that you have to really job. understand. That is not an easy job. No. And so many moving pieces. So many. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for being on. Well, this was so thank fun. Thank you for asking me to be part of it. This has been lovely. Where do you want people to follow you online? Uh, I, I, I'm not hard to find. I'm just at Caitlin Angeloff on Twitter. And uh, same thing on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Just, yeah. Awesome. And Facebook, uh, Instagram, I do keep private. I noticed. Caught me very off guard. Yeah. That's the one I do keep <laughs> private. I, there's got to be some ways that I can share yeah. some things that, that I won't get in trouble for. Fair. Because <laughs> I am hugely inappropriate at times. Oh, <laughs> don't I know it. <laughs> Thanks again, Caitlin. Thank you, Linnae. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It was so much fun to get to ask Caitlin all of these questions. I learned a lot from her and I continue to learn a lot from her. Please do follow her on Twitter. She is at Caitlin and her last name is follows that and it's spelled A-N-G-E-L-O-F-F. So spelled like Caitlin Angel Off. And you can also find her on LinkedIn. I do want to give her a huge thank you. She actually got me into the Twitter South by Southwest house last year at, you know, probably the last South by Southwest. We'll see for a while. And thanks to her, I met Walter Powell, who was on a previous episode talking about his app Politoscope. I highly recommend checking out Politoscope. If you download it, you can check out legislation at your like county and state level and learn about politicians who are running in your area. And it's just a really great educational resource to stay involved in your community and civics in general. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Please do subscribe, rate, review, share this with somebody, become a monthly supporter via anchor at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, or shoot me some money as a thank you on Venmo. Uh, it's always appreciated. I want to say thank you to Idris and Camillo for their ongoing support and huge thank you to Benjamin Matherum for his recent uh, Venmo supporting the podcast and also for the music on this podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud. There's a link to his SoundCloud in the description of this episode. He is a really terrific sound designer and I just have a lot of respect for him and his work. Thanks again for listening.